So if you have your Bible or your bulletin, look at Psalm 3 with me this morning. I will uh, read it piece by piece as uh, when I come to the text. But it's a psalm that has to do for a time in life when you are overwhelmed by trouble. And that may be where some of you are this morning. And if you aren't there, there will be a time when you are there. That's the nature of life. Jesus said in the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. But trouble is part of living in a fallen world. And when trouble comes, it doesn't always come in little pieces. Sometimes it comes in trucks loads. And uh, that's what's happening in our text. When you look at your text in front of you, the Hebrew begins with simply saying this is uh, a psalm of David. And there are 73 such psalms that have that Hebrew heading, La David, a psalm of David. And 13 of those 72 psalms have another heading that tells us the particular circumstance in which that psalm was born. And so our psalm tells us that this psalm was born when he fled from his son Absalom. This was a heartbreaking time in the life of David. Betrayed by his son, betrayed by his trusted court counselor, Ahithophel, both of them usurped the throne, drove David like a dog out of the city, and David has to flee for his life. When we read of that in 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 15, we read this. It says, the whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved on toward the desert. But David continued up the Mount of Olives, Olives weeping as he went, his heart was his head was covered and he was barefoot all the people with him covered their heads and were weeping as they went up so you get the picture here is this great king perhaps in that day the greatest king the most powerful king of the world who is driven barefoot with the signs of mourning over his head with tears streaming down his face, with a few, a small band of followers as he's driven like a dog from the city. And on top of that, it's not enough that his son has betrayed him and that his trusted counselor Ahithophel has betrayed him. But on the way out, there's a man by the name of Shimei. And Shimei begins to relentlessly curse David. He calls him every name that he can think of. And the worst thing that Shimei could say to another Jew is, you are a son of Belial. Belial 
originally simply meant worthless. You're a worthless human being. But it eventually came to mean Satan, who is the epitome of worthlessness. So Shimei is saying to David, this anointed one of God, this chosen king of Israel, you are a son of the devil. And he is proud. He is brazen. David has a small band of his soldiers leaving with him. And Shimei takes up stones and he starts flinging stones at David. And David simply bows his head and moves on. He does not seek revenge. He's going to trust God through this instance in his life. And it's a difficult instance as we read for the psalm. We'll see how he describes his situation where he is surrounded by his enemies. He is attacked by his enemies. Wicked words are piled up against him. And yet through all of this, David is going to come to the conviction that in the midst of my troubles that surround me and overwhelm me, the Lord is a shield around me. The Lord will protect me and encourage me. This is a psalm of lament. It is a psalm of sorrow and of sadness. As David cries out in the midst of his troubling and heartbreaking uh, circumstances and he tells God what is happening to him and how he feels in the midst of this, but ultimately he comes in the midst of his sorrow to a confidence that God, despite his changing circumstance, despite his hard times in life, God is still his protector. And that's what you need to know this morning from this psalm. Regardless of what's happening to you, the doctor says, this is bad news. Or the marriage struggles become difficult. Or raising kids become heartbreaking. Or struggling to make it financially in this world becomes overwhelming when life seems to be pressing down hard upon you and your heart is filled with sadness and sorrow and brokenness. What do you do? Well, listen to what David does. In our troubles, we must first cry out to the Lord. The first word out of his mouth is, Lord! Lord! And that particular name for God, never spoken by the Jews. Yahweh, we call it, that four-letter, that good four-letter word. Yahweh, the covenant God, the faithful God, the personal God, the God who comes into relationship with people and makes promises to them and claims them as his own. Lord! Lord! 
Bruce Walkey said it would be sin. It would be a breach of trust to look anywhere else for salvation. Others would say that to not cry out first to the Lord is a sign of apostasy or idolatry. When you are in trouble, who do you call first? Who's on your speed dial? Is it your pastor? I mean, call your pastor. Call one of your elders when you are in trouble. But don't call them first. Don't commit apostasy. Don't be an idolater. Don't bring your worship and trust to any human being, no matter how helpful they might be. In time of trouble, we cry out, Lord! In the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, as Hebrews began to lose their Hebrew language in their dispersion throughout the world, a Greek translation of the Hebrew was made. And the most common word used to translate this covenant name of the Lord is the word kurios, the Greek word for Lord, which sometimes simply means the head of someone or the master of someone, but often means the powerful sovereign. And when we come to the New Testament, the favorite ascription or title that the writers give to Jesus Christ is the curios Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're equating him with this sovereign God, this covenant Lord, this God of, of relationship in the Old Testament, Yahweh, that Jesus is this covenant Lord. So it's no wonder when we come to the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews tells us that when we have a time of need or a time of trouble, that we come boldly into the presence of God in the name of Jesus Christ. When you're in trouble, don't cry, Pastor. Don't cry, Rolando, Gary, Peter, Steve, Theodore, John, cry, Jesus! In our troubles, we cry to the Lord. We come boldly into his presence, into, unto the throne of grace where we find grace and Mercy to help us in time of need. Are you struggling in life today? Then the first cry, the most often cry out of your mouth should be, Jesus, I need you. But secondly, in our cry to the Lord, in our troubles, we tell him our deepest fears, our deepest concerns. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. How many? Those that oppose me seem to be innumerable. I cannot even count 
the troubles that I'm facing. Here we have a monarch, a, a king who is embattled from every place in life. And it's a cry of anguish, a cry of being overwhelmed, a cry of helplessness. The beginning word, how, is, a, is, is, is a, an expression of bewilderment. How many? How? My own son. My son Absalom, whom I loved. My own son. And Ithophel, who stood by my side year after year, giving me wise counsel. I trusted him with the greatest decisions I had to make as a king. But how has this happened? And how often... It is so unnatural for David. It is nearly unbelievable for David that he should be betrayed by his son and by his trusted counselor. It is inexplicable. It is disappointing. It is heartbreaking. And that is where we often find ourselves in life. Why? How? And behind that, there's sometimes this, I don't deserve it. You know, why me? The phrase, they rise up against me, is the picture of this well-planned, well-orchestrated attack against David. And this is often how life is. James says, my brethren, when you fall into many different trials, count it a joy. And even James tells us that trials come not just one at a time. You know, you're struggling with your marriage and your kids are giving you a hard time and your finances are, 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 are sketchy and you get a, a, a bad report from the doctor and your neighbors are giving you a hard time and life in every way seems to be pressing upon you. How many? This is the struggle of life. He repeats it in verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, literally saying to my soul. They are speaking words, not just to my mind and not just to my ears. They are saying stuff to me that cuts very deeply to the very core of my being and it hurts. Shimei is saying, you're a scoundrel. You're a son of the devil. And others are saying, look at you. God has forsaken you. You're a man of blood. You're a violent man. Look at all the people you killed. Many are saying to my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. God has forsaken him. The enemy is often psychologically smart. They know how to get to you. They know how to say the things that cut very deeply. And the worst thing that could be said to David is God has abandoned you. Because David knew that he was specially chosen by God. 
Out of all of his brothers, David was chosen. He was the one that Samuel poured that anointing oil on as a symbol of David being filled with the Spirit of God to be the king that God wanted him to be. David was a man after God's own heart, the Bible says. But they say to my soul, God will not save you. And then that little sila in your text, which simply means pause and think about this for a moment. Think about the heavy weight of your troubles. Think about how overwhelming they are. Yes, let them touch your soul. Let them move you to tears. Let them move you to brokenness. You're in the presence of God. That's okay. It's okay to cry there. It's okay to complain there. It's okay to tell God how tough life is for you. Pause for a moment. But don't stay there. Don't stay overwhelmed by your trials because in our troubles, thirdly, God alone must be the basis of our confidence in life. Verses 3 through 6. God alone must be the basis of our confidence in life. But you, O Lord, again that covenant name, you are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Think about that. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. But you, O oh Lord, you the covenant God, the faithful God, the one who is steadfast in love. You, O oh Lord, I turn to you. You are a shield about me. I'm surrounded. Earlier he said it was just many. Now he says that there's thousands, tens of thousands. I mean, I'm, I am surrounded. But you are a shield around me. There's enemies coming from every quarter. From every corner of life, just pressing in on me. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me. Some of you are familiar with some of the ancient Celtic prayers. One of them goes like this it says, Circle me, Lord. Keep protection near and danger far off. Circle me, Lord. Keep hope within. Keep doubt without. Circle me, Lord. Keep light near and darkness afar. Circle me, Lord. Keep peace within 
and keep evil out. Circle me, Lord. You are a shield around me. The enemy's real. The attacks are real. The troubles are real. But God is a shield around me. Patrick, the great missionary to, I to Ireland, is known for these words. Christ with me. Christ before me. Christ behind me. Christ in me. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ on my right. Christ on my left. Christ when I lie down. Christ when I sit down. Christ when I arise. Christ in the heart of every man who thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. Christ everywhere, always, in everything. Never, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You are my shield, and you are my glory. What glory David had as a king. The splendor of his palace was incomparable in the ancient Near East. The splendor of his fame of his throne, of his kingdom. He was a man who had power and defeated enemies, and I can envision him seated with his gold, diamond-studded, ruby-studded perhaps, this gorgeous crown on his head, eating the best of foods, having the most faithful of servants, having all of the comforts of life that you could have in the ancient world. He had glory, human speaking, humanly speaking. But now he comes out of the city, he climbs the Mount of Olives. His head is covered with a sign of mourning. He doesn't even have shoes on his feet. He's got tears pouring down his face. He's being driven into the desert of Judah. His glory, humanly speaking, is gone, but his glory is not gone. You are my glory. You! Human glory, earthly glory changes. Life is full of ups and downs, good times, bad times. But David says, you're my glory. You don't change. The value that you have to me is unchanging. I possess in you something of deeper value than I could ever possess in this world and it, and it can never be taken away. That's why I like to keep reminding myself and everyone around me that Jesus Christ needs to be always your greatest treasure. And he needs always to be your deepest delight. 
And when you possess Jesus Christ as your greatest treasure and your deepest joy, your deepest delight, then the changing times of life will not destroy you. If Jesus is your greatest treasure and deepest delight, then when times are good, you will thank God for them, but you won't worship them and you won't let them capture your heart in an idolatrous way because Jesus is your greatest treasure and deepest joy. And when times are tough, when life is down, you will not be brought to despair and disappointment and brokenness because you have Jesus. Jesus as your greatest treasure and your deepest joy and delight. You are my glory. And you're the lifter of my head. Absalom and Ahithophel have pushed his head down with bowed head as a beaten dog He's driven from the city. But he is confident that God will raise his head in victory and in confidence. You are the lifter of my head. I cried unto the Lord and he heard me. Because that's God's responsibility. And he never fails to live up to his responsibility. His responsibility when his child cries is to respond to the cry of his child. And God is always faithful to do what he has covenanted himself to do. You heard me all the way from your holy hill, from Mount Zion, where David had set the tabernacle and where the Ark of the Covenant and the Shekinah glory presence of God were within that tabernacle. And when David left, he did not take it with him. He left it there, but he did not leave God behind. You hear me from that holy hill where you have placed your presence. I'm confident that you hear me. And then I love these verses, verse 5. I lay down and slept. I lay down and slept. Did you do that last night? I was waiting for my wife to come up and say goodnight because I always go to bed first. But the joke is, less than five minutes, I'm out of it. Of course, my, my, my joke is, I hope it's not a joke, but my response is, you know, you can sleep well when you have a good conscience. <laughs> or when you're really tired. <laughs> or when you are trusting God in the midst of your troubles. I lay down, David said. It wasn't a feathered bed. It wasn't a memory foam pillow. It was probably a rock for a pillow and the cold sand of the desert for a bed. It wasn't comfortable. 
but it was peaceful. I laid down and I slept. This is so contrary to the thinking of the ancient world. In a warning that Pharaoh gave to his son, Pharaoh said this to his son. He said, even when you sleep, guard yourself because no man has defenders in the day of distress. So son, when you go to sleep, be sure that you are sleeping with one eye open because there are people out to get you. And David said, I laid down and I slept. There's no greater mockery of the evil that is coming against you than for you to trust God and get a good night's sleep. So how was your sleep last night? Were you tossing and turning? Your troubles come to your mind? Your worries come to your mind? I confess that does happen to me at times. I'll wake up in the middle of the night, in the dark of the night, and I'm trying to solve a problem in my mind and I can't sleep and I need to trust God. I can't figure everything out. I don't have an answer to every problem. That's what Paul said. Don't be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all human reasoning will guard your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. I lay down and I slept and I woke up and all of the things I could have worried about all of the things I could have beaten myself up over, all of the fears I could have had, I woke up and the Lord sustained me. He took me through the night. Those surrounded by enemies who were rising up to attack me, the Lord was a shield about me. I laid down and I slept. And consequently, he says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. I will not be afraid. And now he's beginning to see that it's not just many, it's actually many, many thousands. So it's becoming even more real and more intimidating the circumstances that he's in. But it doesn't make any difference to him. I will not be afraid because I have a shield about me. And God is my unchanging glory. And though my head is pushed down by life, God is the one who lifts me up. I love the poetic parallel he draws. The enemy is all around and God is a shield all around. Notice in David's psalm, the enemy's not removed. 
the troubles are real, the troubles go on. He's still pursued like a dog and that's the way life is. Many times our cry is, you know, we want the change of circumstances, which we do want. We want our circumstances to change. But often the circumstances don't change. There are people who live with difficulty and suffering every day of their life. People that wake up every day with a body that is, that is wracked with pain. People that suffer with poverty and never get out of that poverty. People that struggle with all sorts of things every day of their life. How do they do it? How do they survive? How do they lay down and get a good night's rest at night? You are a shield about me. You are what I value, my greatest treasure and deepest delight. And though life pushes me down, I am confident that you are the lifter up of my head. That when you humble yourself before the Lord in due time, in his time, he exalts you. This is the way God works. In our troubles, we need to be confident that victory, salvation, always belongs to the Lord. Listen to his words. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. And then in the ESV, the translation we use, it says, you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. The NIV makes it a request, a, a command, uh, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. Now that sounds like a pretty strong prayer. I mean, I must admit, there are times that I felt like punching somebody in the mouth. <laughs> but I haven't done that in, since I became a believer. But I understand the image. Strike my enemies on the cheek. What an insult. But you do that to people that can't respond. They're defeated. And that's what David is saying. Slap them on the cheek. They're nothing. They're defeated. Their power is broken. But just in case they want to rise up again, knock their teeth out. <laughs> Make them a toothless lion. You know, we say about people, they've got a lot of bark, but no bite. Because there's no teeth. You can't bite without teeth. Knock their teeth out, David says. Because he's confident, whether you take it as a statement of what God will do or a request for God to do something, both ways indicate that this is an expectation that God humiliates his enemies and takes their teeth out. He breaks their power to do violence against you. He wins. 
But he does it in an unusual way. Though it is a violent picture of punching somebody in the mouth and knocking out their teeth. And of course, we understand in the Old Covenant, the fleshly, earthly, human enemies are really pictures of the New Testament battle, the real battle of spiritual power. And that behind those earthly enemies of David was really Satan and his demonic powers who did not want God's king, David's king on the throne. So even then it was a spiritual battle, but it's portrayed in physical images. So we come to the New Testament and we realize that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. I don't win against my enemies by knocking their teeth out. I win against my enemies by loving them. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. You want to knock the teeth out of your enemies? Love them. Paul said, if, you're, if your enemy's hungry, knock his teeth out. No. He says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. How did Jesus defeat Satan? How did he knock out Satan's teeth? He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. And the New Testament tells us that in his death, through death, he destroyed him that has the power of death, that is the devil. He knocked his teeth out by a humble, sacrificial death. Paul says the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, doesn't matter how big your muscles are or how big your fists are, how powerful your punch is to win in this world against spiritual power. The weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they are mighty through God. So Paul says, we don't wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. He says, put on the whole armor of God. And it's not made of metal. It's not made of iron. It's made of the gospel and prayer and humility and faith and the word of God. And this is how we defeat our enemies today. Yes, we know that Satan is walking around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. But the cross tells us he is a toothless lion. That Jesus knocked his teeth out when he died on the cross and rose again and he stripped Satan of his power. Arise, Lord. 
Save me, O oh my God. Strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. And you do it in an unusual way. Your power is the power of love and of sacrifice and of redemption. Because it's the goodness of God that brings us to repentance. To see the marvelous love of God for sinners. Salvation belongs to the Lord. God, your blessing be on your people. He's in the desert, still being pursued, surrounded by enemies. The troubles are relentless. But he knows that God is the deliverer. Lord, I cry out to you. And he ends with the confidence, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. They may be a crying people. They may be a diminished people. They may be a hungry people. They may be a people that are driven like a dog from the city. They may be a people finding their bed in a cave in the desert of Judea. They may be a people who have lost everything that the world would say is important in this life. But if you're God's people, then God saves his people. And God blesses his people in his time. And he ends with Selah. Think about this. Meditate on God's great power to save sinners. Would you bow your head with me for a moment this morning? I don't know the specific circumstances of everyone's life here this morning. But I do know that you, like me, live in a world that is broken, that's full of trouble, heartache, disappointment, sadness. Where will you turn? Can you say that this Lord, this God who saves, is my God, my Lord, that through faith in the death and resurrection in Christ, uh, of Christ, I have come into a saving relationship with this God where he claims me as his child, where I can call to him and he will answer and show me great and mighty things. Is this your God this morning? If not, why not? Why not right now? Right now where you sit, why not cry out and say, God, I need to be saved from myself and from my sin. Why not why, right where you sit, tell God that you repent and that you believe that in your place Jesus died and conquered sin and death and Satan for you. And that today you trust him. Why not today begin 
a new life, a new relationship with the living God. And then as a believer, a believer who tosses and turns throughout life, not only at night, but the mind goes crazy throughout the day because your troubles overwhelm you. Why not come to that confession that God is a shield about his children? And he is the greatest treasure and deepest joy that you can possess in life. And that regardless of how low your head may be at this moment, God is the one who lifts your head. He can and will do that. Trust him this morning. I wonder if I could pray for you this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Maybe Christians who would say, I'm struggling with life and I want to learn to trust that everything that David says about God is true for me. Pray for me this morning. Pray for me that I will come to that place of rest and peace in my life. Could I do that? Just slipping your hand up where you are? Yes, thank you. Pray for me. Pray for me. I'm in trouble, but I want to cry to the Lord. Pray for me. Amen. Amen. And maybe someone who a moment ago, perhaps for the first time, said, I repent and I surrender to Jesus Christ as my Lord. Today, I've become his child. Today, I will begin trusting him for every part of my life. Today, I prayed and repented before the Lord. Is there anyone like that today? Just quietly slipping up your hand saying, yes, today. I began by faith a new life in Jesus Christ. Anyone? Father, drive the truths of this psalm deeply into our hearts and minds that we might learn to cry to you, to be honest about our struggles in life, but to be confident that you are all that you have promised to be and you will never change, and that you can break the teeth. You have broken the teeth of our arch enemy, Satan. Thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to live every day believing that salvation is of the Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.